There is a theory that once something is released into the world, the creator no longer has overall control over it. The fans have a connection to it, and feel something akin to ownership of it as well. Often, this results in something of an outcry if something changes that isn't to the fans' liking, resulting in the author or creator either having to defend their actions, or simply go back on them to a more popular stance. You'd be forgiven to assume that this was just a byproduct of the internet age, where people have unprecedented access to their idols, their sports heroes, and their favorite authors by way of social media. However, the particular sort of interaction between creators and the people who consume what they create has its roots almost a century back when one of the most famous detectives in history met their end going over Reichenbach Falls. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is what? Explain. Arthur Conan Doyle's literary career started out for much the same reason that many repeated plasma donors, research subjects, and exotic dancers do. He was trying to pay his way through medical school. His first short story, The Mystery of Sasasa Valley, was published in Chambers' Journal in October of 1879, three years into his studies at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. His work was occasionally published in literary magazines, but not nearly enough for Doyle to consider himself a successful author, so his fiction writing was relegated to the sidelines as he concentrated on his studies in order to become a successful doctor. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in medicine and a master's of surgery in 1881, and four years later completed his doctorate in medicine in 1885, doing two tours as a ship's doctor in the interim. When he wasn't on a ship going around the world, Doyle attempted to set up a joint medical practice with a classmate while he worked on his doctorate. However, their relationship proved to be less than amicable, and Doyle quit the practice soon after to strike out on his own. With less than ten pounds to his name, Doyle moved to Portsmouth, a city in the south of England, and attempted to set up a practice as a consulting physician and general practitioner. However, he was missing the one thing that any doctor needed, even in the 1800s. People willing to come in the door with their medical problems. While he waited for patients to walk in the door, he started writing fiction again, partially as a way of killing time, and partially because, as previously mentioned, he only had ten pounds to his name, and needed some way to earn money. One of the stories that came out of his time waiting for patients was entitled A Study in Scarlet and featured a consulting detective named Sherlock Holmes and his trusty companion, Dr. John Watson. It was written in three weeks and was sold to a publisher in October of 1886, who gave Doyle the total sum of £25 in exchange for all rights to the story. The story was published a year later in Beaton's Christmas Annual in 1887, and received high enough praise that the publisher commissioned a follow-up story starring these two characters, which turned into the novel The Sign of Four. After he wrote The Sign of Four, Doyle made one last attempt at resuscitating his medical career. In 1891, he went to Vienna, Austria, in order to study to become an ophthalmologist, with the hopes of becoming an eye surgeon later on. However, he found the primarily German technical terms and medical phrases used in the Austrian teaching hospital to be too difficult to understand, and quit his term early, 
spending the rest of his time in Vienna, ice skating, riding, and drinking. He returned to London in late 1891 and set up a small office as a medical doctor and consulting ophthalmologist. Again, no patients showed up, and Doyle found himself once more in an office with nothing but free time on his hands. There was one good thing that came out of his final venture into the medical field. He started writing short stories starring Sherlock Holmes. Doyle wrote the first five Holmes short stories in his consulting office, just waiting on patients to arrive. He turned out to be something of a failure as an ophthalmologist, but he had finally found success as a writer. A Scandal in Bohemia was the first of the Holmes short stories to be published in The Strand magazine, and 11 more were published between July 1891 and June of 1892. The British public absolutely adored the adventures of the brilliant yet aloof detective, and subscriptions to The Strand increased monthly, while Doyle's profile himself was on the rise. In fact, one of the few people in Britain who disliked Sherlock Holmes was his creator, Arthur Conan Doyle himself. The problem was, Doyle considered himself a serious writer, and felt that the pulpy Holmes short stories were taking focus, time, and attention away from his more serious works, particularly his historical novels, of which he considered some of his best. Initially, he tried to reduce the publisher's demand for him to write more Holmes stories by raising his price higher and higher in the hopes that the publishers would simply no longer want them at such an astronomical price. Unfortunately for Doyle, that simply did not happen, and as a result, he became one of the best-paid authors of the time. That poor, in-demand, incredibly popular and wealthy man. I'm sure we can all truly empathize with the plight that Arthur Conan Doyle found himself in at the time. He published ten more Holmes short stories in 1893, and then finally had enough. He was going to do the thing he had thought about for almost two years at that point. He was going to be the one to kill off Sherlock Holmes. The Adventure of the Final Problem was published in the December issue of The Strand magazine, and both introduced Holmes's arch-nemesis, Professor James Moriarty, and ended the story with both of them going over Reichenbach Falls, seemingly to their deaths. Watson, the narrative voice of the short stories, mourned for the loss of Holmes, and the series seemed to be over. Doyle in particular seemed revitalized and ready to get his vision for his literary career back on track. Untroubled by having to think of monthly cases for a character that he grew sick of long ago. However, this seemed not to be. There was a massive outcry from the public on both sides of the Atlantic when the final problem was published. The Strand magazine suffered over 20,000 cancelled subscriptions from readers outraged that Doyle would kill off Holmes in such a way and affected the magazine to such an extent that the editor of The Strand had to reassure shareholders in the magazine that they would, in fact, weather this event. Doyle himself was the subject of a significant amount of hate mail as a result of the story, wanting him to bring back Holmes again. Even his own mother was disappointed with the decision, writing back to him in 1891 when he was first contemplating killing off Holmes, You can't. You mustn't. You wouldn't. 
Doyle initially stuck to his convictions, explaining that the death of Holmes was necessary for him to move on to better things. However, the pressure continued over the years to come, and Doyle began to waver. None of his successive published works gained the notoriety of the Holmes stories, and he suffered from comparisons to the initial run of short stories. In 1901, he published The Hound of the Baskervilles, which Doyle emphasized was not a Sherlock Holmes story, but a story about a hellhound on the moors that just happened to feature Sherlock Holmes heavily, and took place before the events of the final problem. The Hound of the Baskervilles remains one of the most successful Sherlock Holmes stories to this day, and two years later, Doyle finally relented and brought Holmes back from the dead with The Adventure of the Empty House in 1903, in which it was explained that Holmes survived the fall from Reichenbach, but faked his own death in order to hide from Moriarty's henchmen and avoid any repercussions from them falling on Watson. Public pressure ended up pushing Doyle to revisit Holmes, and he wrote 33 additional short stories over the next 20 years, albeit at a much reduced pace from his previous run. This was the first occasion where fan reaction was so great that it genuinely changed the course of the creator, and by extension, the character. There are as many opinions on fan ownership of characters and stories as there are people. Not ownership as in financial ownership, but ownership as in they have devoured the stories, theorized with other like-minded people about what certain things would mean, hoped for sequels or further updates, and overall invested a significant amount of their lives into it. Some creators welcome the feedback of fans and interact with them online constantly. In fact, it's rare that a creator of any sort can get a start nowadays without some sort of online following cultivated in order to support their career. Others consider it an annoyance and consider the work their own and the fans more akin to loyal consumers rather than critics to be considered. On the other side of the coin, some fans can become obsessed with what they want their vision of the stories to be and react negatively to any change to that. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, go talk to someone on the internet about any Star Wars movie that isn't the original trilogy. Go on, I'll wait. You're back? Well, I'm so sorry you had to experience that, but uh, you see what I'm saying now, right? Regardless, with the plethora of entertainment options available, cultivating fans of one work is essential to any creator working, and often these fans come with expectations and hopes. This results in something of an interaction between the two, not the one-way street of the creator makes a thing and the audience consumes it than it was previously. And that interaction has its origins with the resurrection of one of the most famous fictional detectives in history, all caused by a demand so great that his creator eventually relented and changed the course of his literary career. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and I'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like what you've heard so far, please give the show a rating and a review on iTunes, or really wherever you found us. It helps a show like this one immensely find a new audience, so thank you in advance. If you want to get in contact or follow the show on social media, it's at WhatExplainCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
I'll be putting up a new episode every second Thursdays, so feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and be ready for the next one the minute it gets put up. I'll see you all in a couple weeks with another fact that'll make you go. What? Explain. <laughs>